0: Good morning. My name is Dan Song and I'm one of the pastors here at Restoration. Feel all the good energy. Maybe it's the graduates or whatever, but it's good to be together this morning. Uh, Whether you're here, I know there's probably some who are watching online. We're glad that you could join us here on this Sunday morning as we now come to a time of um, hearing God's Word for us. And so I'm going to invite Josh Chung to come on up. So if you have a Bible, turn to turn to Acts chapter 4 we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 4 verses 32 through chapters 5 through 11 or five eleven. 11 and so we'll look at those that that passage and as we do just wanted to kind of bring you up to speed of where we're at so we've been looking at the story of the church and how Jesus when he ascends to heaven he promises that he's going to equip the people of God with the Holy Spirit And so they wait in Jerusalem, waiting. These 120 people are waiting. They don't know what's going to happen. But on Pentecost Sunday, which we'll, we'll celebrate in a few weeks from today, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And as the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they're preaching God's word, there's healings that's happening, and they're telling about the mighty works of God in all these different languages and tongues. So much so that all these other nationalities, and people groups are hearing them and understanding these Galileans speak in their tongue, in what their parents had taught them. And they're hearing God's word, and God adds to their number, 3,000, and more and more. And we see the breaking of bread, the practicing of the sacraments, meeting together in prayer and in fellowship, of sharing one another's goods, and the church grows. Well, last Sunday, we looked at how there was a healing of a lame man by Peter. And with this healing, what that does is now, because the gospel of Jesus Christ is being known and spread like wildfire throughout Rome, there's opposition, external opposition. And so this Jerusalem council of these leaders bring Peter and John in, and they start questioning them. They're going, what are you doing? And they threaten them that they will beat them and imprison them if they keep talking about the name of Jesus. But because they can't charge them with anything, they let them go. And here they come together and we begin to hear more of what the church is doing. And so this is where Josh is going to read for us. And if you don't have a Bible, there are church Bibles underneath the chair in front of you. If you're using that, turn to page 912, but you can follow along also on the screen. So let's give, a, let's give attention to God's word. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Josh. Pray with me. Lord, we come before you this morning and we ask that you would speak to us. Lord, as we even think about what it looks like to be a church that is generous, we ask that you would help us do that, not because of guilt or compulsion, but because of what the Spirit is doing in our church and in our hearts. Won't you do that? And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Growing up as a pastor's kid, I got to see a lot of the things that happened behind the scenes. And so when my dad planted a church in Chicago many years ago, I remember about three years into the church plant of about like 200, 300 people, you know, probably similar to our size. They had the opportunity to buy a really large church building. But when you're a Korean immigrant church, a lot of people didn't have successful jobs. And so it was going to take a lot of sacrifice to be able to purchase this church building out in the suburbs of Chicago. And what I saw happen was something that I still hold to intention today because what I saw happen amongst all these immigrant families, Korean families, was they began to take out second mortgages and take that second mortgage and give it to the church so that we could purchase this building. And I looked at that as a a teenager, and I thought many different things. On one hand, I thought, wow, that is amazing. The sacrifice that they're making for the church and for God is something astounding, even as a high school kid. But then on the other hand, I thought, is that kind of generosity really generosity? And I hold these things, held these things in tension, not really knowing what to make of it because I saw the repercussions of that. Some were amazing. They became the largest church in all of Chicago. But also I saw people who probably couldn't afford the means to take out a second mortgage, and yet they did and were found themselves in a place that They didn't want to be in financially. What does it mean to be a generous people? And here in this passage, as we continue to hear and read about the story of the church, the Bible actually addresses what it means to be a spirit-filled, generous people and of a church. And so what I want to do this morning is look at these two different examples of generosity. One of Barnabas who is also named Joseph, and Ananias and Sapphira. Now what's fascinating as we come to this story is that for the first time, we are Luke, who wrote this, actually calls the church the church. He calls the people of God, these Christians, the church in verse th- uh, 511. He calls it ekklesia, which is the Greek word, but I'll just read it for us in 511. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. You see, this was a pivotal moment in the life of the church. This was a time when they were growing immensely, and the gospel of Jesus was being proclaimed. And I just told you about how there was external oppression and persecution beginning to come upon the church. But what we also see is that there's internal opposition that takes place here in this story. It's not just external, but with, it's within the church. And I don't know about you, but maybe you've heard as you've gone through books, uh, the, the book of Acts being preached, the pastor will set it up as like this great, perfect commune where they live together in happiness. Well, that's just not true. And we see that here in this story. And we'll see that in this second example of Ananias and Sapphira. But let's look at Barnabas, who's Joseph. Now, Barnabas will play a really big role in the church. As we'll look at later in Acts, he begins to be one of the critical, crucial players in spreading the gospel to the Gentiles, to these other countries and nations. But he was also, in this moment, given this beautiful nickname of sorts, Barnabas, son of encouragement. Well, why? Well, in verses 32 through 35, we're given this beautiful summary of what was happening in the church. Let me read it for you. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said And then we're given an example of a specific person, Barnabas. And what does he do? Well, he sells off a field and brings that money from that sale and lays it at the apostles' feet. Now, what's this mark of generosity? What does that actually look like? Well, what we learn about Barnabas' generosity is that it is spirit-filled. Spirit-filled. Now why I say that is, if you look at verse 31, right before chapter 4, uh, verse 32, you know, this is all like verses and chapters and paragraphs are all kind of man-made, right? So this was just written as a manuscript, as a story. Now re- let me read to you verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but had everything in common. To be a generous people in the church, to be a follower of Jesus, and to be generous means that we are Spirit-filled. Now think about the entire story of the church thus far. What made these people who were just waiting in a room, not knowing what to do after Jesus ascended to heaven, all of a sudden break out with confidence and power and preaching and healing the lame and sharing all their goods with one another as if it wasn't their own, but they gave generously and shared everything and sold their inheritance and fellowship together and prayed together. What made them do that? Was because we read that they took an MBA class about leadership or MBA class on organizational structure? No. The only thing that changed was that the Holy Spirit came upon these people. And as they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were empowered to do these, to do these things. Meaning, The outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the people of God was the work of God Himself. Can we remember that? Can you remind me of that? Success is such a dangerous thing and it's so scary, right? Because even as you look at this story, you could just say that it was because of Peter and John and all these people like Barnabas. But in actuality, it was the Spirit of God, and it's so easy to attribute good things that happen to people and individuals, men and women. But it's always God who works through people. It's the Holy Spirit that was working in Barnabas' heart. He was filled with the Spirit that allowed him to give sacrificially and generously. It was the work of God Himself. That's why I love how Luke describes this generosity as the great grace in verse 33. It's this unmerited favor, what Christ had done for Barnabas and what Christ has done for us. We understand that it is truly amazing grace that saved a soul, a wretch like me. It's when we begin to understand that kind of profound grace The work of God causes us, the Spirit causes us to give generously as Barnabas did. But secondly, it's not only the Spirit-filled mark of generosity, but it's also one heart and one soul. Look at verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now when we talk about one heart and one soul, this unity that they had together, remember they didn't look like one another. They didn't just dress like one another or eat the same kind of food. They were very, very different. Remember when Pentecost came and the languages were being shared about the mighty works of God, who did they preach to? It wasn't only Jews, but it was Parthians, Medes, Egyptians, Cretans, Arabians, and so forth. This made up the church. It was this very different kinds of groups of people that made this first church that began to share everything with one another. This generosity came from unity that was completely diverse. One scholar said it this way, They were bound to each other by Christ. Theirs was a unity not of sameness, but of purpose, proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. They were united in faith, but their unity didn't end there. They were also united in their material possessions. I love what he says here. God tightened their hold on each other as he loosened their grip on their possessions. That's what generosity looks like. It's the Holy Spirit's work that tightens us together, but also loosens our grip so that we might be able to share and be generous people through the work of the Holy Spirit. This didn't mean that they had, didn't have private ownership, or they, didn't, they sold everything. They still met in each other's homes. They still had their own belongings, but it meant that these possessions didn't possess them. these possessions didn't own them and they were able to freely give of their belongings because of their one heart and one soul. French philosopher said it this way, mammon, which is our wealth or our money, loses all power over us as soon as grace enters our hearts. This great grace that was upon these people allowed them to give generously because they were of one heart and one soul. That's what we see through Barnabas. Not because of Barnabas, but because of the Holy Spirit that was at work in him to give generously. And as they were one mind and heart, through their unity they were able to give to one another. Even if they disagreed on politics, or they looked different, or spoke a different language, their faith united them because of what Jesus had done for them on the cross. Because of what Jesus had done, they were able to then give because of the grace they received. But let's look at Anani- Ananias and Sapphira. In the second example in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 5, what do they do? Well, they, it almost looks identical to what Barnabas did. They sell a piece of land, but they hold back a little bit, and they lay the rest at the apostles' feet that's where the similarities end. Because what we find out about Ananias and Sapphira is that they schemed to make it seem like what they had sold, they were giving all to the apostles. when in actuality, what we see is that they took back, which was a word for deception. They were keeping some of their proceeds, but made it look like they were giving everything. Now Peter finds out about this and confronts them. He confronts Ananias first, and Ananias still tells it as if he was giving everything. And what happens? He collapses and dies. Then a few hours later, three hours later, Sapphira, his wife, comes, and Peter addresses her again, asking, what happened? She keeps that same lie. And what happens? She falls over and dies, and they're buried together. Now this is a very complicated story, story, one that seems very unfair, especially in our Western world, modern world, where I thought the New Testament was all about love and and being able to be understanding and forgiving. Well, I could see this being an Old Testament story. Yeah, God's wrath and judgment. But as we look at the characteristics of giving, we'll see why this was so important, that God would bring judgment upon them. But before we get there, what we have to see here is that Part of generosity in the church is that it is never under compulsion. It is so easy, and I'll say it right now, it is easy to be able to lay guilt on people to give. It is easy to force one's hand and make them feel like they need to give to the church or to whatever it is. But when we look at the gospel of Jesus Christ generosity is never under compulsion. And we see that here. Look at verse 4 of chapter 5. When Peter talks to Ananias, what does he say? He says, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Meaning, when that land belonged to you, there was no reason for you to sell. You could have kept your land. We did not force you to sell your land. And when you sold your land, that money was yours to use however way you want it. You didn't need to give all of that money to us or any of it. And what we see here in the gospel of Jesus Christ is that giving and generosity is one that is absolutely voluntary. As the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart, you are free to give as the Lord Calls you to. That is the beauty of the gospel. That is the scandal of the gospel. Because what we see here, it is absolutely voluntary. The apostles, Peter, John, didn't decide for them how much to give, what to give, any of them as they consider nothing their own. But gave freely. It was absolutely voluntary. And that's what makes generosity generous. It is voluntary. But secondly, what we we see here in the story of Ananias and Sapphira, is that it is never for self-righteous gain. It seems harsh that they would die because they told a lie. But sometimes we have to get under the lie to understand what's actually going on. And what we see here is that the gospel of Jesus was at stake. The church is growing. It is moving. People are hearing the gospel for the first time ever. Ever. And imagine what would happen if Ananias and Sapphira gave of their goods, of of what they sold, and played it off as if it was everything. Wow. Elder material. Women ministry director, right? That's what we would think. Amazing, amazing people. If you do good things, you are a good Christian. If you do bad things, you're not a good Christian, or you're not even a Christian. But is that the gospel? When Jesus ascends and the church is at this crucial point of its growth, of declaring who Jesus is and what he has done, This needed to be made known. If you have a brother or some family member that's destroying your family, love isn't to just let them do it. Love isn't to just be tolerant and let them destroy your family. No, right? You immediately create boundaries. You immediately do what's necessary to protect the family. That's love. And when the church was at this crucial standpoint, what we see is in their lie, underneath the lie, they were telling a gospel that was false, that is based upon your self-righteousness, what you do. And that's exactly what Ananias and Sapphira were doing. They were trying to buy and give of their money to buy their self-worth to buy their approval of men, to look like Barnabas, and to be able to be somebody in the church and in their social stratus. But what we see in the gospel is that generosity is never about your own righteousness, but it is the righteousness of Jesus. Jesus has done it all. He lived the life that we cannot live. He was perfect in every single way. When he was tempted, he was he did not sin. And because of his righteousness, we are able to find hope and joy and glory and salvation because of Jesus. But Ananias and Sapphira were trying to build upon a gospel that was false based upon their own self-righteousness, based upon their good works, based upon their riches and their generosity when it was truly about what the great grace of God and what he done for us. You see... It was this self-righteousness that was going to destroy the community that God was building. They were using Christianity to develop their reputation through their spiritual achievement. And God could not stand for that because he loved the church. He loved the church that Jesus purchased with his own blood. And because of that, what does Peter say? Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied to man, but to God. Barnabas was filled with the Spirit. Ananias and Sapphira were filled with Satan's deception and his lies. And it's through this story we see what generosity really looks like. It's one that is Spirit-filled of one heart and soul, it is grace-centered, it is voluntary, it is based on Christ's righteousness, not our own righteousness and in our good doings, but completely based upon the work of God. So what does that mean for us? Quickly, let me just end here. Not to just give us a formula, but as we think about what generosity looks like, one that's not under compulsion or contrived, I think we have to look at three things that help us to be people of generosity that changes the world. First, look up. Look up. We have to revel in the grace of God. Reflect, remember the gospel of what Jesus has done for you. He saved a wretch like me. He didn't save a good person. He saved a wretch. Amazing grace. That is what we need to be able to revel in, to look up that he gave me everything, his righteousness. And when we begin to allow that to sink in, then guess what we do? Secondly, we look within. We need to repent. Where is their self-righteousness? What has a hold on you that makes it hard to be generous? What makes you stingy? Why are you not generous? Is it because of fear? fear of the future and anxiety of what you don't know is to come and not providing enough for your kids or your family or for yourself in retirement what is it it's repent but thirdly we need to look around and see the needs around you what are those things that god is setting your eyes on to be able to care for and be people who are generous not only in the family of God but also in your communities. And when we look up, look within and look around, then we could begin to be generous voluntarily, joyously, sacrificially for your giving to the Lord and not to man. And that's what I hope we get a clear picture of when we talk about giving, when we talk about generosity. It is the work of God in your heart. As you repent and you live a life of faith, as you revel in the grace of God, we're able to give. I shared with you at the beginning of the Korean Immigrant Church and some of the tension I felt. Well, there was a story of, of a Korean pastor who retired from his church, and you have to understand Korean churches back in the 80s and earlier and into the 90s, they didn't have 401Ks for their pastor to be set up after they retired. And there was a story in Chicago of this pastor who retired. And, you know, what you do is you retire and you you usually don't stay at your own church. You kind of move on. And the church had lost contact with him. And many years later, they found out that his spouse had died He was in bad health, living in an apartment, alone, rat infested, no food to eat, and was living in squalor nearly to death. And when they found him like that, the church was notified. And that church that he poured his life into and served faithfully brought him in, got him an apartment, had a whole food system set up for him to eat every single meal, and they took care of Him. And they didn't consider anything their own, but gave generously. That is what it looks like to be a people of the resurrection as we continue to celebrate in this Easter tide season. Jesus is no longer here, but He's given us the Spirit. And through the work of this community, it is through the generosity we continue to proclaim and show the world the resurrection life through our giving. May that be so of restoration. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for you who did not spare your own son but gave him up for us all. How will you not also give us graciously all things? And so Lord, I pray that you would remind us of that. of the great grace of our Lord Jesus that would help us then to give freely and voluntarily and sacrificially and joyfully to those that are in need so that we might proclaim the gospel through our giving lord may that be true even as we come to the table that this table that you give to us will strengthen us feed us so we may be strengthened to go out and be people who are spirit-filled generous people may you do that good work we ask in jesus name amen